Welcome to Square Root Justice, hosted by Rita La Therese. Where we will shed light, give voice, and invoke positive thought and reform on current and social justice inequalities. Humanity, Jesus, justice. Humanity, Jesus, justice. Hello, Square Root Justice family. Welcome to Square Root Justice with Rita LaTerese. Today, we have a topic that we will discuss with you that's very important to the masses. Uh, but first, I want to welcome a very special guest and our um, my co-speaker for today, Dr. Jacqueline Mack Harris. Dr. Jackie, as they call you, welcome to Square Root Justice with Rita LaTerese. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Square Root Justice family, let me tell you about Dr. Jackie. Dr. Jacqueline Mack Harris, known as Dr. Jackie, to her clients and students, is an associate professor in the graduate programs of marriage and family therapy and a master's in counseling at Hope International University. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist and a supervisor of pre-licensed therapists at the Bridge Marriage and Family Therapy, a private practice with offices in the cities of Brea and Marietta, California. She has a strong desire to help couples, families, and adult individuals find hope and healing as they work through anxiety, depression, illness-related thoughts and struggles, attachment issues, ADD, ADHD, and challenges associated with military life. Dr. Jackie works with pastors, pastors' wives, and ministry leaders who struggle with relationships, spiritual growth, and finding balance. In ministry, she has served as a youth leader, the director of women's ministry, and the director of Christian education. She is also has served in the capacity of a supervisor of care services. Square Root Justice family with Rita LaTerese, please welcome Dr. Jackie to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Hi, Square you. Root family. I'm glad to be here. This is, um, this is an honor to meet you at this time, Dr. Jackie. And it's um, it's an unfortunate situation in light of everything that has gone on in recent uh, here in California, or we say SoCal, the Inland Empire, with the death of two Riverside County deputy sheriffs. Um, and literally just for full disclosure, this is what has brought us together today. Um, I was contacted by someone uh, at the business that asked me and said, Dr. Jackie, I know Dr. Jackie, she would like to provide some services to the immediate families of the deputies who lost their lives in the line of duties, their immediate families and the deputies of the subsection or sector where they work. And I was honored that the person called me. 
And when I had a chance to speak with you, Dr. Jackie, I was just overwhelmed by your passion and your, um, your blessings to extend the hand to others. And so I am grateful. Square Root Justice with Reed Tala Teresa is grateful. And again, we welcome you and we want to talk about the destigmatization of self-care, that being grief, trauma, and counseling. Yes, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I really believe is that destigmatization of mental wellness, um, self-care, I love that, that you called it self-care because so often people think of it as something only crazy people do but it is genuinely self-care. Um, and I think destigmatizing it looks like therapy being as normal and natural and accepted as primary care, as going to the dentist, as fit physical fitness, as eating a healthy diet, because all of those things, it's that's the holistic approach to wellness. And a lot of people don't have access in their communities whether it's there aren't therapists that look like them or um, that they feel like they can relate to, uh, or whether it is they don't have the means. Therapy is expensive. Uh, I, I do believe therapists should be paid. It's a valuable service. And also we give back. It's a part of our ethics to give back to the community. And so some of us have found ways to be able to do that and, and, this situation just grieves my heart. Uh, I'm, I grieve for these families. Um, I work with some law enforcement um, people. I, I work with some military people. My husband and I are both veterans, um, which is a part of what led me into this field. And as I sat and listened to the news reports and my heart broke, I just felt like this was the thing that I could do, was to offer them care. Grief is a very real experience. And sometimes people don't recognize that grief is dealt with by people differently. And so somebody may be very quiet about it. Somebody may be very vocal and, and emotionally expressive. Um, some people may deal with it with anger um, because it brings about fear, uh, fear of the unknown, uh, fear of loss. And so it's important to have someone to help you understand those things and then to walk alongside of you because when you don't know about emotion, you may think that dealing with emotion well means not having emotional expression. So not really feeling it. And I've had people say, I just can't get over this. And I'm like, well, what does getting over it look like? Well, not crying so much, not feeling so much pain in my body, not being so sad all the time. You lost someone you love four weeks ago. You're going to be sad. That is the appropriate response, but we have become a people who've forgotten what humanity really is. And unfortunately, that's, I think, uh, Sheriff Bianca said it on one of the news reports, we aren't, we don't care about other people the way that we used to. We've become so disconnected from one another mm -hmm. um, because we have created a society that wants to be individualistic. We all want to be strong and on our own. And we heal in relationship. Therapy is about relationship. It's a therapeutic relationship. But if you don't build a bond and a relationship with that therapist, then you may not feel safe 
and you may not trust them. And so that's going to impact the work you do. And thank so thank you. I just want to say thank you for your service to you and your husband. Um, thank you for your service. Um, I just wanted to, you know, when I was thinking about the theme or the title for our discussion today, destigmatizing self-love, grief, trauma, and counseling. Um, so many times we hear about mental health and I wanted to get away from those words because it seems like that is where the stigma is linked to is yeah. the words mental health. And that's why I say it's destigmatizing self-love because yeah. it's really like you just stated, I heard you say so clearly it's about taking care of yourself in various ways. If we can go to, you know, the hairdresser, we go get our nails done. We go get our pedicures. We go to the gym, you know, we go get our massages. Why yeah. not, why not counseling? So yeah. how do we destigmatize that? And why is there such a stigma to counseling? So I think I'll, I'll go with the last part first. I think that there's a stigma because of the way we've talked about it. So I will say mental health and mental wellness versus mental illness, because when people think about mental illness, it's hidden. If you think about previous generations, most of us had that uncle that was in the back room. Like there's a movie, Soul Food, I think it is, and there's the uncle they take a plate to, but he never comes out of the room. A lot of us had a family member that there was something off about them, something going on. We never really knew what it was, but they kept them hidden. And I believe that is because the history of psychological treatment was brutal. And there was a time when people who were different and, and other the medical profession didn't understand what was going on with them, they would be institutionalized. And I think we got stuck in that. And those were severely mentally ill people. Um, those were disorders that we didn't fully understand yet. We didn't have good interventions for talk therapy the way that we do now. And so I believe the stigma came from true experience. History has shown us that it can be dangerous to um, tell people about a scary thing because people when we are uh, when we don't know, we don't understand, we want to get rid of. And so I think that that's where the stigma came from. And then we have in the military, you know, you'd hear suck it up, be strong, be tough. They just have a weak mind. And so it's become a weakness to say, I'm feeling depressed. I have anxiety. And so people aren't willing to acknowledge that for themselves and certainly not publicly with other people. And as long as we keep, you know, you wouldn't hesitate to acknowledge that you had diabetes maybe or high blood pressure, or, right? So, or you broke your leg. I fell last year and broke my arm and my leg and I couldn't hide that. It was, it was blatant. Everyone could see it. But that was more embarrassing than my anxiety and my ADHD. And so it's just a matter of how we've talked about it and how we think about it. What do we do about it? We begin to talk about it more. We become more vocal. And if I'm not embarrassed and you're not embarrassed, right? The more we're having people who aren't embarrassed about, you know, just like going to the gym. There was a time where a lot of people wouldn't go to the gym because they felt ashamed of their bodies. And so what did the gym community do. Physical fitness changed and they created places like Planet Fitness that's supposed to be 
safer for everyone, right? Everyone can come in there and feel comfortable in their bodies. We've got to have a similar attitude about mental health and wellness. And so that we can make a shift. Is that a taught behavior or is it, is it learned? Because like you said, someone you had in your family, they were casted or ostracized to the side because of maybe the way they look, the way they act. Is that taught or is it a learned behavior and then you are forced to accept it? Yeah. So I think what you're talking about there uh, falls into the transgenerational trauma category because what happens is our traumas in our family become societal norms. Okay, so hold on, Dr. Jackie. Let me go because you, you mentioned trans uh, transgenerational trauma. trauma. Okay, let's break that down real quick. Can, tell us what trauma is because so many people have their own idea of what trauma is, but trauma comes in various dimensions and it comes in different forms. Okay, let's break that down, trauma. Um, so trauma is the experience of feeling your life threatened, your life threatened or witnessing someone else's life threatened. That can be a natural disaster. That can be a violent attack. That can be a accident, like a vehicle accident or a, a dangerous fall. But trauma can also be interpersonal. Verbal, mental, physical, spiritual abuse creates trauma. And, and what, what happens is our body recognizes danger. And when it recognizes danger, it goes into survival mode. So now our nervous system kicks in and we are in fight, flight, or freeze. That, that's a normal response to a threatening situation. Fight or flight syndrome. Mm -hmm. Right. However, there are types of, there are certain memories that we have that we don't actually have a date time stamp for, and we can't like tell a story of it. And those are called implicit memories. Implicit memories, they live in the body, but you may not remember what happened or not readily, but your body does. Uh, there's a book, a very important book on trauma for anybody who's interested in learning more, it's called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And what we learn in this book is that our body remembers our experiences even when our brain or our mind does not. And so something could happen and trigger that experience. That's why we use that word trigger so often. So that trigger happens and we now are back, our nervous system doesn't know the difference. We are back in that experience. And so trauma is some event that you experience or that you experience vicariously. So law enforcement, they're experiencing vicarious trauma on a daily basis, hearing people's hard stories, showing up at the scene of hard things, not to mention the times that they're actually injured. And therefore, their nervous system is revved up often. And they, you just have to keep going. You just have to keep working. You just have to keep being with your family. And so your body may not think about it. You may not think about it until something happens and it brings it back up. And so that's trauma. Trauma is the experience that happened. Okay. And you mentioned another key word is trigger. And mm -hmm. I don't care how old you are. I'm not a doctor, but through, you know, experience and um, I was a cop, I was in patrol for six years before, you know, I moved on to, you know, a criminal investigator for years. And you you have triggers, like you say, you deal with things in and day out. And it's just not the field of law enforcement. This is just, you know, one field that we chose to bring up. Um, 
the trigger. I don't think that a lot of people recognize triggers or what triggers them. And then when they behave differently, you can't explain why because you haven't dealt with the issues. And I like that you said implicit memories mm -hmm. or your body is reacting, yeah. you know, what I think your body is reacting cognitively to something that has happened in the past. And so when something comes along the same line or the scale of what you've experienced, that's a trigger for you. Your body reacts, but it's like, you don't know what you're doing. Right. How do we go about recognizing triggers from trauma? And then I want to say, is trauma and grief the same because they both have triggers? So that is a very good question. I actually do a training um, uh, through New Life Live. It's going to be happening this Saturday at the Emotional Freedom Workshop. And I talk about trauma and I talk about grief because they are so similar. And so the grief can be a trauma. That loss can be a trauma, right? You've had a loss of a loved one, a loss of a relationship, a loss of a job, a loss of an opportunity. It's It will cause you to experience grief from the from the trauma. And so those things work really closely and, and the triggers bring those things up. So the other side of implicit memory is explicit memory. Explicit memory has a date time stamp. You can tell the story. You remember the car accident. You remember the day at Disneyland. And 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 I said Disneyland because you can have good and bad triggers, right? I walked into a church and I was like, oh, this smells like home. It reminded me of my grandmama's church. So I felt comfortable there. So that's a good trigger. How do we... Um, learn our triggers and learn how to deal with them, we have to begin to talk about them. So one of the things I may ask a client, if I'm sitting with a couple and the couple is upset, um, and I'll use myself and my husband, for example, uh, he may be upset about me letting the trash can overflow. And I think that's ridiculous because I don't understand where that's coming from. But if I say, well, when have you ever felt like that before? And he thinks back. He can find that memory now of when he felt what he's feeling in his body. Oh, when I was nine and I had to take out the trash and the bag bust and I got in trouble. Okay, so now you know, you're not really mad at me. Your, your body just went back to, I'm about to get in trouble, right? And you don't care about me because you're letting this happen. And so that's the thing that we do in therapy is we help you connect what's happening in your body to your past experiences. And then they become explicit and now you can deal with it. Mm. And now you can tell people, oh, when that happens, I get upset. I'm going through something. I can't, I, I don't want to go to that place right now because it triggers me. You know, people coming out of the military who have been in combat, they may not want to go to Disneyland. You want to know why? Because at nine o'clock, Disneyland does fireworks. Mm -hmm. It feels a lot like being under fire in a war zone. And so that triggers them and they're at the happiest place on earth yet they are also in the middle of Afghanistan being fired on, right? And so triggers can be really devastating when we don't know what they are. But once the person knows, oh, that's what this is, they can come up with a plan. I had a guy once tell me what he would do at nine o'clock every night when Disneyland did their fireworks because he lived so close, is he would tell himself, it's outgoing mortar fire. It's outgoing, it's us protecting ourselves mm -hmm. rather than mortar fire coming in. 
And so it's just changing the way the brain is dealing with the information. And when you talk about the military, so often when you hear PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, and I can say, you know, I'm included, you know, I always thought that was only related to military, you know, because that's where, you know, for me, that's when I, I first put the correlation together, PTSD, mm -hmm. military, right. but it's just not within the military community. PTSD right. is related to grief, is related to the trauma, is yeah. related to so many things within everyday people that have never served in a military, but have experienced some type of tragedy. So mm -hmm. how does PTSD come into this picture dealing with grief, tragedy, trauma? So the that uh, flash that the body has, that's a post-traumatic stress disorder response. The body is reacting to something that happened in the past. And, and there are certain criteria that uh, qualify for the diagnosis of PTSD. Um, you know, avoiding uh, certain things that might trigger those memories, maybe being hypervigilant. Um, and so those, the things that people do that have post-traumatic stress, those things are done by um, a wife or a husband whose partner was unfaithful to them. That infidelity has now created a dangerous situation for them. And so if it was a phone thing, every time they go into the bathroom with their phone, now they're upset. It feels like that day they found out, right? So it could be that. It could be somebody got hit by a car. And now every time they're at the light, they're double cautious before they will cross the street. And so it's not just combat. It is the body being put in that life-threatening situation. And then it got stuck. And I think that it gets stuck because we don't process it. If you don't work through it, it stays. And trauma that isn't transformed gets transmitted. So then we see behaviors, right? We see people acting out. We see we, we see military people acting out in ways that we think are insane. But in those moments, they are feeling threatened. And so the choice they make, they think is rational because they believe they're under threat. And so what we could do is give people permission to tell their stories because most of the trauma treatments we use are storytelling interventions. And I, you know, I, I can relate to that because coming up as a kid, um, my uncle, my aunt, who's no longer with me, her husband um, served in the army. And I remember as a kid, you know, I would go over there and if my uncle, you know, was sleeping, she would say, don't go in there, wake him up. Don't go in there. Don't, mm -hmm. Don't go by him when he's sleeping. As a kid, I didn't understand that. But when I got older and I started working in the military environment and interacting with uh, people in the military, I understand it just what you're talking about, the combat, the trigger, because you're sleeping. They're sleeping is like they're defending themselves around them. So somebody coming up, they gauge that as an attack. So it had to be, you know, I remember my aunt explaining to me that, no, don't go near him because he may react as if it's an enemy coming mm -hmm. to him. So there is a gradual step or approach, you know, to that when someone is sleeping. Yep. And um, I didn't understand it, but I, I came to understand it and learn about it. And so it's um, 
very revealing in how the different communities and people's life experiences, you know, interact. And I would say that because we're all man and we all have feelings. Yeah. Um, you know, the situation that happened with the deputy in Lake Elsinore was pretty close to my house. My husband is a combat vet. He was in our backyard uh, building our doghouse and he heard the gunshots and came in the house as I was coming down the stairs and I could see that he had been triggered. And it was, it was a long night. It was a long night. And we didn't know what had happened. Eventually we did. We eventually found out all the details and everything, but our home, it was, we had nothing to do with it. But as you said, we're humans. And so part of the problem for him ended up being that he heard it and he knows what those things look like on the other end. And so he struggled most of the night with having just heard it because it put him back in a traumatic situation. And he could then envision the other traumatic situation. Yes. But we can we can talk about it. And it's the talking through it. So yes, we might have a long night, but if we can talk about the experiences, then we can move through them. The only way through is through. And often we stop at stuffing it. And we just don't, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm strong. I'm going to muscle through it. And I think that that's one of the most unhealthy things we could possibly do. You know, when you say that, um, that you all heard it and no relationship to the family, no connection or anything but you still feel it and it triggers something inside of you. I have a saying that consciousness is visionary. Mm -hmm. I have a saying consciousness and visionary. And if you have a conscious or a moral compass about yourself, something that's so traumatic, you know, when hearing about it, not that I'm not saying it, it should affect you, but it should touch you. Right. And, um, I, I guess I call it the we are one, the yeah. we are one feeling or experience. Yeah. And well, Dan Siegel calls it the MWE, M-W-E. There's a book um, that Dan Siegel recently published, and it's called Intraconnected. And it talks about how we've become so differentiated, which is separate, so differentiated that we no longer feel that pain of someone else's hurt. That's the problem with humanity is we've become so disconnected and individualized that we no longer recognize that that person sitting next to me has experience too. They have a perspective too. They have a story and a life and somebody's at home waiting for them. We don't see people as us. And if we don't get back to seeing the person across from us or next to us as just as human as we are, we're going to continue to spiral downward. That is the number one pillar for square business pillar for square root justice is humanity. We are all made in God's image. Absolutely. And so um, it's, you know, it really came to light, you know, after the death of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that was 2020. Yes. And you saw not just Blacks, you saw all different races of individuals coming and merging together as one because they were outraged at what happened. Yeah. You know, however, and if you can just speak to 
the tragedy and it not only affects the family who's suffering the loss, but how it touches the hearts of others, no matter where they're at. Yeah. They feel that same, you know, sense of loss without knowing mm -hmm. the individual. Yeah. How is that so? It is that interconnected piece. If you are a person who is grounded and connected to humanity, and some of us still are, you feel it. When I watched the George Floyd murder video, something in me shattered and I couldn't put it back together again. And I, I worked at a Christian university and I worked at a Christian counseling center. And the next week I was supposed to start teaching multicultural perspectives. And I called my boss and told her, I don't think I can do this without losing my job because I felt like they had murdered my brother. Like I felt it in my body. Mm -hmm. And I think most people in the world did. Yeah. It was it was it was the death felt around the world. Yes. That feeling is the vicarious trauma that I was talking about earlier. It didn't happen to me, but in watching it, it showed me that it's possible. And my nervous system doesn't know the difference because we have mirror neurons. And so, you know, that's why if you yawn, I'm going to yawn. Yeah. <laughs> or if you tell me a story about bugs crawling, I'm going to scratch. <laughs> Our brains have mirror neurons. And that's a part of how we relate to each other. Mm -hmm. That's a part of what creates that interconnectedness. And so I think what happens is people see or hear something and they think of what would that be like for me? You know, we talk about putting ourselves in other people's shoes. Well, we can't actually do that. Right. But if we were to look at what must that be like for them, mm -hmm. I know what it would have been like for me and how it would have been for me would have been devastating. I can assume they have a version of that mm -hmm. might not be the exact same thing, but I can. And that's what my sorrow is from. I felt horrible for all those people who were standing around. I'm like, everybody standing there has now been traumatized. Mm hmm. Every, the person who made the call has yes. now been traumatized because they cannot take that. There's just so many pieces of it that people didn't know when they got up that morning that their life would be different. There is the day before and the, the life after. And I think for a lot of us, life was different after the George Floyd murder. I yes. know personally, it changed the way I talk about the work that I do mm -hmm. and my interest in and dedication to social justice. Mm -hmm. And I like the interconnectedness. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, I'm listening, but I'm just, you know, silent and, you know, God is just giving me something. My, you know, Square Root Justice business pillars are humanity, Jesus, justice. Jesus is at the center of it all and justice, anything that is not justice, sin. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how we come together and we can feel, you know, those of us, you know, who have humanity or conscience. Yeah. And deep down inside, you know, I like to believe that most people are there or they have that. Mm -hmm. Whether they exhibit it or transmit it, mm -hmm. as we spoke about earlier, you know, um, that's the thing because whether they feel it's, um, Oh, I have to be macho. I can't show my weak side. Or, excuse me, it's um, 
you know, oh, I can't feel soft. Mm-hmm. I'm not the counselor. Dr. Jackie is the counselor and the doctor. But I just say that's not what humanity is about as I'm speaking to you mm-hmm. that are listening. Humanity is having a more, to me, having a moral compass and being able to feel and have apathy and understanding of others. Yeah. And empathy is key. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people don't understand the difference between empathy and sympathy. Mm-hmm. And sympathy is, hmm, yeah, I've been through that too. But empathy is, well, I can't even imagine how hard that is for you. Like it's just joining a person. Empathy is feeling with a person. Mm-hmm. Where sympathy is feeling for a person. And when I'm feeling for someone, that is actually disconnected. Mm-hmm. It's it's a separation. And I think that that is what we're afraid of. If we sh- show that softer side, mm-hmm. if we show that we do have some weaknesses and some growth areas, we can experience pain and it's really hard for us and it's making life hard for us. If we show that, then yeah, people may be sympathetic to us, but that feels like pity and them, they're, now I'm an other. Mm-hmm. Whereas empathy, those people come over here with me and they're like, I can't fix this for you. I can't do anything about it for you. I can't make it better, but I can be here with you. I can rub your back. I can listen to you talk about it. And so empathy is, I think, the key to that intraconnectedness, feeling with me. And I think that that's what happens when you vicariously experience the pain somebody else is having. It's that empathy that's driving it. I know um, after the recent tragedy, and I'm being respectful of the families. Mm-hmm. Um, I made a video because I didn't know the young man, but I made a video um, and gathered, you know, images, screenshots of images off of his Facebook page and made a video. And um, it just got so because, you know, I was young when I joined the police force. I was 24. Mm-hmm. And he's a young man with a family. And I truly feel for the family and the kids, you know, his kids and soon to be father, you know, from my understanding. And it's just a heartache. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is. It's a heartache. And um, I know just from seeing the comments coming through on the social media that I want to tell, you know, the families that. They're not alone. Yeah. Um, it may be feel like a jury season, but they're not alone. And so many people give their condolences and blessings and love and sympathy, you know, just reading them through the messages that their hearts ache too. And I hope our listeners here feel that whatever they may have going on in their life, that if it's not a matter of needing help, it's a matter of getting counseling to have you to be the best version of yourself to keep moving forward in life and not to get stuck. Absolutely. Um, And so if you, you know, I say, if not, counseling then what destigmatizing counseling as you have done here and talking about it 
I want people to reach out. You know, if you need help, reach out. Yeah. There's someone there that can help you get through over the hurdle yeah. that you may be experiencing. And yeah. I just, uh, Dr. Jackie, you know, if you could just speak on the spiritual connection mm -hmm. with counseling yeah. um, before we go. Okay. So I do come from a perspective of a Christian therapist. I teach at a Christian university. Uh, and what that means for me, though, is that I love Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. So when I walk into the room, you have a Christian therapist. However, people have different perspectives of what that means for them and what spirituality is for them. And so as a, as a therapist, I will hold your faith, your spirituality. And sometimes it might be different than mine. I'm also of the belief that I don't need to hide mine because someone else's is different than mine. Because I, I think some of the problem we're having in the world is that people who disagree or have differences aren't able to commune together and have fellowship together. And so I wanted to be clear about that. Whatever your faith is, I'm going to speak from Christianity, but whatever a person's faith is, is incredibly valuable as a part of the counseling um, process. Because for, for a Christian, there's prayer. And prayer for me is my form of meditation. It is how I center myself and calm myself and soothe myself. And it is an intervention that I use to help me be a better therapist each day. I do my own prayer slash meditation every evening as I release the things that I've dealt with throughout the day with clients. So that spiritual aspect, I think, is important because we are spirit. And that part of us needs to be accessed as a part of the healing process. Like I said before, trauma that isn't transformed will be transmitted. And we can either continue to hand down trauma or we can start handing down wellness. And I think in order to hand down wellness, we have to heal our spirits. We have to heal our minds. And there is a connection between our mind and our body, our mind, the brain, gut. There's a connection it affects our body. You know, people don't think of um, the brain and the mind as needing care in the same way other organs in the body need care. But if you broke your leg, you would take care of that. Your brain tells your leg how to move. So if you have a problem in your brain, I feel like that should be a priority. But we've talked about it in such a way that only, only broken, weak, damaged people do that. And I do believe that each person needs someone to help them understand or to reflect back to them what they're going through and what they could do differently. I say that I'm a translator and a mirror for clients because you share, I mirror and reflect it back to you in a different way that you can use differently. And that starts to bring about change. Mm -hmm. And I think that the spiritual aspect is included in that. As a Christian, one of the things that I do at, uh, at, that is integration is I don't always know what to say or do. And so I may be sitting in a session and Holy Spirit, you got it. I, I, I don't even know what to say right now. So I'm just going to give it to him. And I'm going to trust because that's the relationship that I have. And that's my belief. I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit then will speak through me. I've fully surrendered myself to you. What do I do? What do I say? And I see that work. I see that work 
on my job because I work with a lot of Christians and they're coming in and we are like-minded. But I've also seen it work with people whose religion and faith is different than mine because I can honor what they need, what they experience. And so I, I think being respectful of, of the spiritual practices of the individual must be a part of good therapy. I like that. What you don't, um, what did you say? What you don't transform, you transmit. Yep. So key. Thank you for that, Dr. Jackie. Um, in closing, Dr. Jackie, I know you mentioned to me that you want to help the immediate families of the officers um, that have gone home in the line of duty. Um, I'm going to let you extend your services, um, which includes free counseling that you told me you would like to offer to the immediate families of them. And then eventually you would like to start doing counseling in the community that was impacted. And I'll let you have that word before we close, Dr. Jackie. Thank you. So anyone that's an immediate relative of either of the officers in Riverside County that have um, been murdered in the past few weeks, I think it's probably been three weeks um, since the, the first one that I'm thinking of and then a week um, for the, the last one in Lake Elsinore, their family is going through right now. And I don't know, they might already have a therapist or someone in their community that they can speak with, but I just want them to know that I'm here and I am offering the service if they want to process what they've gone through, they'd like to do therapy now or in the future for them to just reach out. My practice is the Bridge Marriage and Family Therapy, the office in Murrieta and an office in Brea. And I work virtually, so they can come into the office or we can do it virtually. And we also have a nonprofit organization that we've just begun. We've just filed for it uh, so that I can hire trainee therapists. And that way I can have a very low rate to no rate. I want to provide free or no cost or pay with what you can. Um, services. And so we started a nonprofit that will provide therapy in communities. As I said, I want therapists everywhere. And so I want to see a therapist in the classroom because right now our students are struggling coming out of this pandemic. We are all in reintegration. And if you weren't in the military, you don't know what that word is. Yeah. So that's the furtherance of of the project we're working on. So as you said, I'd like to provide free therapy for the immediate families and the officers. We have a discounted rate for officers as well as for pastors and military folks. And that's just standard practice for our practice. Uh, but within the next few months, we're hopeful by April, we will have the Bridge Academy Collective up and running and we will have student therapists. Our therapists have to get 3000 hours to get licensed. And so there's a process for that. And I began in that same way. And I wanna give opportunities to other pre-licensed therapists to be able to do this work and provide a space for them to do that in. And I'd love it if we could have therapists at the police station or some hub where they have a person that is their person. And maybe that already exists. I've not worked in that field, so I don't know. But I just want to make it more accessible for people who are the underserved communities. And that's not just poor people. Sometimes the underserved are the people who are middle income and while they can afford to pay their rent or their mortgage and their car note, they cannot afford 100 
75 to $200 a session for therapy. That is the underserved community. And um, we're on a mission to see that they can get the help that they need if they want it. Dr. Jackie, you are a blessing and you've been a blessing. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank I am glad um, the individual reached out to Square Root Justice um, and put us together so that you can get the information out there to help others because so many are um, afraid of counseling, whether it's their employers, they don't want their employers knowing, although they offer EAP programs, you know, the stigma or the fear of losing their jobs. I just want to say, Dr. Jackie, Scribble Justice Family, Dr. Jackie has made her services available to the immediate family of the officers. You can reach out to Dr. Jackie's office. You can contact Scribble Justice. I can put you into directly in touch with Dr. Jackie. If you want to reach out to Square Root Justice, you can always email me at pursuitofjustice at squarerootjustice.com or you can call 951-405-0218. I will put you directly in touch with Dr. Jackie. I will not be collecting any information other than a name, a telephone number, and contact information for her to get in touch with you. Dr. Jackie, I can't thank you enough for being here, you know, with Square Root Justice with Rita LaTerese and offering your valuable knowledge. We will definitely have you back again. Thank you. And as we close this out, I just want to um, bring to you recording artist, minister, Angie Shields. Thank you, Square Root Justice family. Thank you. Source minister Angie. There is so much injustice going on in the world, and we have seen innocent lives being taken, whether you're jogging down the street or you're doing a routine traffic stop or call to someone's house. And so just kind of wanted to encourage you with this song. It says, Amazing grace, how sweet the the sound that say a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm was blind but now I see much just bear the cross alone and all Cross 
praise God, 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 one day his grace will 